1: Just before we get into this week's show, I just wanted to let people know that on Saturday after the game, if you go in the match, you're going to be in town afterwards. Uh, we will be putting some money behind the bar at the Denby Castle who sponsor our post-match show. So, those of you who listen to the podcast, just sort of a thank you. If you want to come down and have a drink with us after the rest of the game. Uh, the towel will be open from eight o'clock. Uh, it is a finite amount. Um, so it'll be done on a first come serve podcast basis for asking people just to get one drink with it Um, and it'd be great to meet a few people who listen to the show if you want to come down as much as possible and just want to say thanks to everybody before christmas and before we break for the world cup so that's in the denby castle it'll be after the game on saturday from eight o'clock there's some live music on it in there as well so it should be a really enjoyable night Uh, if you want to get a drink on the blue room tab Like we said, uh, obviously we can't control this, but it would be great if people could just limit to one drink if they could. So hopefully we'll see a few down there. Do come and say hello and do come and get involved and have a drink and have a bit of a sing and a dance and hopefully celebrate a win with a number of blues. So take care. Hopefully see you on Saturday. It's the rest of your podcast. It is the Blue Room. It is your weekly show and we are getting close to the mid-season break. The first ever mid-season break for a World Cup, and Everton uh, ticking along all right. You could probably say after a nil-nil draw following at the weekend, we've got Leicester at home at Goodison Park on Saturday under the lights, half five kickoff, the last Goodison game before Christmas and before we all break. As I said, uh, joining me to speak about that and a few other different things today, Mick Greeno. Mick, how are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Probably just a bit like how you just described everything, just
2: just ticking along. Just, <laughs> not too
1: bad. <laughs> fully, yeah, in, fully, fully into the winter grind. Uh, yeah. uh, Adam Sutton, how are you, mate? Same as Mick, really, just ticking along. Not a fan of these dark afternoons
0: I'm going to go for, actually. I think one o'clock today I thought, this is depressing, isn't it? But yeah, <laughs> ticking along. I do, I do enjoy the Christmas period, but the run-up, um, it needs to either hurry up or just stay warm, and it's doing neither at the moment. So,
1: that's the thing. People always get that excited about the clocks going back, cause you get an extra hour, and then you realise straight away the following week's like, all oh, right, it's dark at three o'clock now, which is which is horrible. But uh, and anyway, anyway, we've got Jake Mills back on the show as well. Uh, Jake, how are you doing, mate? Uh, it's, it's good to see you still sort of you know going strong and supporting the Blues after what happened towards the end of last season.
3: Do you know what? I I haven't heard from you for ages and things because things started being a bit better, Um, but I'm glad that now Sam (laughs) Allardyce has popped up again. You've asked me to come back on, so thanks for that.
1: I just thought, you know, if there's a man I know who's going to have a lot of things to say about the nil-nil draw, (laughs) Uh, it's going to be Jake Mill. So I felt like the time was right to to reintroduce you back into into the fold.
3: It's good to be back. Thank you. And how
1: are you, Matt? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, saying, I'm, just, I'm just cold now. I feel like I'm, I feel all of me, me 33 years and getting chilled to the bone at this time of year. So <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to cope on Saturday. You know, I might, I might go like full Everton and have like a Bob at half time, you know, hand warmers, Long Johns, all sorts of us and far. But, but no, we'll see, you Maybe. But yeah, you mentioned you mentioned him there, didn't you? Sam Allardyce. Um, he has joined Rafael Benitez this week. Uh, I think it's Benitez's second interview he's done. Since he left Everton, sort of saying that none of it was my fault. I think he actually said, uh, but he says that the start Everton had to the season gave fans a delusion in what to expect from him. Um, and then Sam Adais who has started a new podcast, I'm sure everybody will be listening to this, would be great to know. We get onto it straight away. Uh, it's called Wonderfully the Not Tippy Tappy podcast, which I just thought was. An absolutely fantastic name for, for Big Sam, but he, he had he had Duncan on <laughs> Adam, Adam's face. There, it's marvellous. Uh, he had Duncan Ferguson on on one of his first episodes, and um, unsurprisingly, probably because it was somehow like his podcast, Duncan gave him a glowing recommendation. Said he should not have been sacked. Uh, all the players liked him, etc., etc. And yeah, I, I've been thinking about this one today, Jay, because I've sort of you know, shared it. See a lot of people talking about it, and you know, I described it on Twitter as the most joyless time never had this Evertonian go in the game when Samuel was our manager, and, and someone said even worse than Rafael Benitez, and I, I think I still I still think yeah, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but but thinking back to to those few months, it, it did feel horrible, or was that was that just me?
3: No, I think I think there was a a complete nothingness during that time. I think you know we look at we look at Benitez, and you look back, uh, you know in. In hindsight, and I think history will will tell us that that was a absolutely horrific appointment, and and it was it was doomed uh, since day one. But there were there were some good performances at the beginning of that season. Um, I think we were, you know, we we kind of did give uh, Benitez that chance. We there was times that we kind of. Yeah, half, half decent performances, goals. You know, sometimes I'm saying it was the most enjoyable of football that we ever watched. Certainly wasn't by the end, of it, but at that beginning, there was there was something there. And the thing I remember talking about it and everyone everyone um, who wasn't Evertonian, who would ask you, you'd say, "Well, you know what? To be fair to him, he's he's doing the job." There was never any of that with with Allardyce. It was just, I think, coming with Allardyce as well. Um, I think we were coming down from. We bought into you know previous managers Like we always thought this one's gonna be it, this one's gonna be it, this one's gonna be it, and we were coming down from that. The thing that that always got me with Allardyce was that I never, ever, ever felt that we needed to resort to Sam Allardyce. And I don't know if you remember, but Sam, Sam Allardyce absolutely played Everton. He played Everton like you would not believe in putting himself up for it, and then taking himself out of it, and he caused a panic, he caused a panic, where we thought, oh my God, we can't even get Sam, Sam Allardyce, how bad must we be, so then going back into Sam Allardyce, who will have, I, th- I know we all like, we we rejoiced when he said, oh, I'm not interested, we thought thank God, and then to go back in for him, it just felt like absolute desperation, when actually we weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't desperate times, it really wasn't, and, the football that we played, you know, t- people talk about Sam Allardyce's style and stuff, it was just the most miserable nothingness and it just felt numb as an Evertonian to, to sit through that. So, yes, I, I, Benitez was bad and we've had some bad times with other managers but in my book, um, that was that was just a, a very numb uh, period of time when we had Sam Allardyce and I actually, until um, he'd done that podcast, I'd actually forgot that he was manager because I tried to drive it out of my memory.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mad, isn't it, Adam? Because that season, we finished eighth. And then in, under Marco Silva, the very next season, we finished eighth. And, and listen, you know, there were, there were low points in that campaign as well. But you think back to that one, there's so many more moments that stand out. You know, the United 4-0, beating Arsenal, beating Chelsea at Goodison Park. There were a few good performances away from home along the way, that, that campaign, and... So as it just goes to show, doesn't it, that the numbers and the finishing positions don't necessarily mean everything. Because you look at that season when we finished Dave and the following one, and you know, they're completely contrasting, aren't they? Yeah,
0: I think if if we can do anything as
1: Evertonians, it's at least go the game
0: and have some form of enjoyment, really. And I think Martinez, as, as, as much as anyone, was probably the perfect example of we might win five four one week and then get beat three two the next week, but at least we're showing some signs of excitement and playing in a way that Everton fans are getting up off the seat for. And with Sam Allardyce, it really, it really was just drab, wasn't it? And we became, as the kids say now, a meme, which is genuinely what Everton were for a period of time. If Sam Allardyce has managed your team, you're a meme really, aren't you? Because he is the epitome of just Brexit rubbish Low block football and Everton were that. And looking around at some of those players in that team as well, it, it, you can say how far we've come. It just is, again, just goes to show that if you have an inconsistency in terms of tactics, in terms of direction, in terms of management, in terms of coaching, then you might finish in the same position a couple of years, but then you're very quickly going to find yourself at a loose end. And I think you can, I always go back to, to Koeman as, as the real first domino in what happened last season actually and I think the likes of Sam Allardyce and Marco Marco Silva were probably maybe heavier and lighter dominoes in that but literally but at a point it gets to a team which has got probably 90% of those players that have had different managers and, and how you're going to be able to build a squad and build some form of ethos with with those players really so yeah, I'm the same as Jake, really. I totally forgot that he existed, never mind managed Everton. And I won't be listening to the Not Tippy Tappy podcast if I can help it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always remember speaking to Daniel Hewitt. He does ITV News. He's a big West Brom fan. He said, i is like, like having a manager sponsored by TalkSport. And I think like that, that's the, the best description that I've, that I've heard of him. But Mick, what, what about you, Mick? What, I mean, what are your memories of that time? I suppose you were only a little lad back then, weren't you? <laughs> so it's only like five years ago
2: Matt Christ um, but yeah I, I, I echo especially what, what Jake said I think that the, the club got the club got massively desperate when it came to Alibis and I think I think he might have been appointed I think this, the last game before obviously apart from the the West Ham under earth was the Southampton away game and I think you know you think of that game all I can think of is do you remember that pitch and I think where the, the back line are all in a big like zigzag almost and I it's think like, that was like it again up had,
1: for a rugby scrum isn't it yeah
2: yeah yeah and I think we had again we had John Joe Kenny at left back you know which is mad considering we, we had them there for a couple of games last season as well Um but yeah and I, I, I do think the club got not it was It was horrific at the times so that that little spell at the end of Cumin and, and and under and under on You know, we think of the the horrendous defeats against um, Arsenal and and Atalanta and, and Burnley at home. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it 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 was a period a bit like now in the season where literally one result kind of can can almost change the complete picture and. And it always gets me when Allardyce says that you know he come he came in and Everton were you know were seventeenth eighteenth in, in, in the Premier League and and I think bear in mind I, I, I think I don't think we were that bad but I think we might have been about sixteenth but for his first game after, I think it was Huddersfield the home after the West Ham I think Everton were already up to like I think we were already up to thirteenth or something Um so it, it, the way he kind of uh, describes it as some sort of you know amazing survival. Really baffles me, but they're obviously going to try and you know point fingers, point fingers elsewhere, and try and paint the best picture of themselves. You know the one that got me in terms of what Benitez said the other day um, was how I think he said it a few times now. How he didn't really um, expect our financial position to be as bad as it as it was, um, which which kind of baffles me a little bit because you think you'd probably have those conversations before you know signing a contract, especially for someone who I remember when. Um, he first joins um, over the preseason. There was a lot of talk about, you know, doing an audit so of the, the squad and then and, and the football club, and obviously that a lot of a lot of people left in multiple departments
1: because of that. You think that was he probably them, apparently he did an amazing PowerPoint presentation, didn't he? That was those yeah. things that he sold
2: the owners on. Yeah, but you think he probably would have done a bit of you know due diligence himself before actually taking the job. Um, but yeah, and, and, and the two. Of you know the two probably stains on, on the football club in terms of the recent history and um, hopefully we don't have to go back to those those dark days anytime soon.
0: I think with Allardyce he's one of those managers where you'd almost want to be able to like laugh at him with like your mates or like on social media and like almost actually like him in a way because he is just like almost an enigma in the fact that he's so embarrassing and almost so like hateable, that he's actually quite funny in a way with his demeanour, but then you actually remember that he was our manager and you can't get involved in any of those jokes really because we actually were a laughing stock as part of Sam Allardyce's tenure, so I kind of, in a way, want to be able to almost let him like let myself find him funny, but I, I really, really can't. In the same way I kind of wanted to let myself give Rafa Benitez a chance, but then but looking back now, you think, why did we ever even do that? So, uh, yeah, as Mick says, hopefully we'll never have to go back to those dark days and stains on the club.
3: I, I think for what it's worth, though, I think I do think Duncan Ferguson did get on with him, and I've I've seen like a, a couple of things afterwards when he said, actually, you know, I did learn quite a lot from Sam Allardyce. Uh, so it's not taking anything away from that and, and any friendships and professional um you know admiration or, or whatever he might have for him but i don't for one second believe duncan ferguson thinks that he shouldn't have got sacked i don't for one second believe that he thought that was not the right decision because it absolutely was absolutely was
1: yeah i mean think mean, that's a great way to finish the discussion i mean you just think back to that time and just not wanting to go to gutters Park was just Horrific, and it's it, speaking to people who you, you know went to. I went with at the time. You know, there's so many times in, in games towards the back end of that season, you've just stood in the pub like, should we just jib it off today? Do we really want to go and watch this? But alas, um, anyway, like like you've all said, hopefully those dark days are behind us. Uh, these days we're, we're much doing much better. We're going to Fulham and draw nil nil. Uh, <laughs> things things are looking up. Uh, <laughs> I'll come to you first on, on this one, J. It's always going to be a hard game in, in all seriousness they're, they're playing well they've got a, a really good forward in Mitrovic they've got obviously Marco Silver, who's got them very well drilled very energetic and I suppose the, the only disappointment for me was that after a, a quite a, a good first half and what felt like quite an even game that either side could win that, that everything just kind of melted as any kind of attacking force after the break and You know, after 50, 55 minutes, it felt very quickly like the best we can do is is get a point here. And it was about, it was about clinging on. But they did cling on and they did get the points, which probably is something they maybe wouldn't have done in previous years.
3: Well, do you know what? I'm going to come at you with all the cliches because I I completely agree. I don't think we would have. I think that's the the type of game we would have lost. Um, I think we, football is funny in it because, you know, at the beginning of the season, after the end of last season, we, we talk about we have to be patient, we have to any any improvement is 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 good. Um, you know, even if it's mid table it's good. We knew that the defence was shocking, we knew all these things. It was an improvement, it was it's not the most enjoyable thing to watch. There was there's frustrations, there absolutely is frustrations, there's frustrations about particularly when we look so toothless, um when we're not really carving out. But it's an improvement, I, we, we can't deny that, you know, you look at that back, you know, I know, I think we were the first team to, to keep a clean sheet uh, at the Cots this season, you know, these are improvements, we would have lost that game previously to, to get... A point there is not a bad result at all, but like we like we always say, it's about then that next game. If you can then get something from Leicester at home, then actually you look back and that was a great point. But you have to. It's always then about that next game because how many times do you get win somewhere and then lose? You know, win against City and lose against Leeds. You know, these are the patterns that we need to stop and, and change. So if we can start getting draws at difficult away um, fixtures like that, then you know I, I can definitely. See the
1: improvements, and I'll take it. I'll take it this season. Hmm. Mick, you know, I saw earlier this week. He was sort of tweeting about the second half in away games and and the numbers, you know, when Everton have, have sort of fallen behind and when they've been trying, obviously trying to get ahead in matches as well. Is, do, do you sort of look at that and think that is a, a major worry, or do you kind of look at the, the first half in some of these games and sort of think that we are laying a foundation, at least in these games, that we can potentially push on from if we get? better players and better patterns of play? Or do you look at the way in which we have just sort of ceased to exist as an attacking force at, at Newcastle and at Tottenham and at and a Fulham after the break? And, and feel like that's a big cause for concern.
2: I, I, I don't know if it's... I mean, it is a worry, but I, I don't think... I kind of expect it at, at, at this point. You know, everything is very different. And it's probably been the case pretty much ever since Roberto Martinez, David Moy's period was over and that Everton have been a completely different team at home compared to away. Um but the the last couple of weeks, even the the, the Southampton game, I know we won that. I thought we were especially after you know we went ahead, I thought we were too I think we're too eager to to protect what we have, if you get me and and I know there's 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 probably scars from from the end of last season or from last season together even though you know quite a lot of the, the spanning with the, the team has changed. Um but but I do think we, we we've got we've got to do better. For the first half we were all right and I, you know the, the whole game itself probably summed up where, where everything are at this, this season and that you know we, we had we had decent spells without creating a massive amount of opportunities. I know we had obviously the Khalit Lewin chance and I and, know and Gordon and Gray had a couple of opportunities but you are talking one real big moment and I think Tarkowski had a, a header from, from a corner he kind of got free but you 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 know you kind of like clutching the straws to say you know we, we have an abundance of, of, of real good chances um, and yet we, we still look a bit leaky at the back not in terms of you know like I've mentioned to you in, in the past on this and that yeah you know we've got some really good individuals at the back but we're still conceding a lot of opportunities and and there's only so much that, I mean, you know, we've all seen probably the, the, the stats in terms of, um, you know, Pickford this season. I think Paddy um, put it out on Twitter and, you know, he's probably arguably the best performing goalkeeper in the league at the moment and is undoubtedly playing the, the peak of his career going into the World Cup. Um, there's, there's only so much you can probably rely on that is, you know, goalkeepers' performances fluctuate probably more than any other, you know, player position, if you get me. um. And obviously, in the second half, we just kind of offered nothing, and we it was it was back to the walls job again. And I, I, I think it, we're probably as as a, as a fan base, we're probably all too um, easy to just latch onto the the fact that you know Gordon and Gray are, are not given, you know, just not producing enough, and, and that's a, that's absolutely a fact. But you know, if, if any other wingers, I, I find it hard to 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 see them being able to produce anything else in that second half unless you, you, you're able to bring in real world class quality players, which I don't think we're in a position to do, especially on both flanks. it's it's tough because, you know, you you, you want to be able to to think that you can go into those games against a newly promoted and newly a newly promoted team and and, and have a bit more swaffer than we did in the second half. You know, a point points are still fine, like Jake says, you know, I think a hundred percent would have taken a point before the for the start of the game, and it, it looks much better, even more if you know if we win on on Saturday and, and get a point or or win again against Bournemouth the week after. But the, the performance is
1: definitely a bit, you know, they a, a kind of bit worrying, yeah. Um, obviously it could have been a lot different, Adam. Had uh, Mitch, Mitch been sent off in the first half. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what you lads or made that tackle, but I was sort of watching it on Sky and listening to the commentary, and they were talking about it like it was, you know just a yellow and I was looking at it thinking that that looks like a red to me and then I saw it again and thought that's definitely a red and then I went on Twitter and thought I need to make sure that I'm not just going a bit mad here and everybody seemed to think it was a red and I've not really seen anything to make me change my mind on it since me, you know, it's it's all studs, halfway up his shin d- dangerous tackle, Garner was obviously in, in a lot of pain, I just thought it was a bit mad that he didn't go to the VAR and then he wasn't sent off. It's almost one of those where it it isn't even like classed like as like a
0: foul or a tackle, really, is it? Because he almost, I don't think he's gone out to hurt him. I know it sounds stupid, but he definitely has. It's just mistimed and it's just like brainless the way that he's done it. But he could have and nearly has caused serious harm by, as you say, putting his studs halfway up Adrissa Garnegay's leg, really. And it's almost as if they've gone like, oh, we didn't mean it. Like, we'll just give him a yellow. And a no matter of fact, like how many times would that happen over the course of a season where someone gets seriously injured and they, if they go off the basis of what they've done for that tackle, then people would be getting hurt and people wouldn't be getting sent off. And I think there's been a couple of times, you know, where I think back to like the Harvey Elliott one last season where it, it's almost an accident. And, and I get it, it's an accident. But if he didn't break his leg, he wouldn't have sent him off. But because he has broke his leg, it seems to be enough force that it, he, he's going to have to give him a red card. And people are almost like, forced into doing it but what's the difference really if he didn't break his leg so it's not a, a red card it's just it's absolutely baffling really and yeah I think if he goes off and and, and Everton are freed up in, in that respect it could be a totally different game but just going back to talking about us as, a, as an attacking threat it, it almost feels like Everton are one of the only sides that aren't making the most of this modern day fullback that, that everyone is is getting so much joy from really and Granted, Nathan Patterson obviously offers a lot more than Damon Coleman. And I think Vitaly Mikalenko was a lot better the weekend previous than he was against Fulham. And it was almost you've got two good wingers actually in in, in Fulham. I think William was, was brilliant and I think Cabana was a good player as well. And you've got Decott over Reed who can come and cause issues. And it's almost a catch twenty two with the wide lads and the fullbacks really is Andy Gordon isn't having anyone to bomb on past him to give him a little bit of freedom to go and attack someone or run at someone. So he's almost one-on-one with his defender every time he gets the ball. And likewise with Damari Gray, he's brilliant, Damari Gray, when he can come inside, shuffle, shuffle inside and create something or he can go down the line and almost let someone bomb past him to get that yard. And, and it's almost that they're not complementing each other at the moment where you've got two very defensive full-backs and almost two very one-dimensional wingers, really. And you're not allowing them a little bit more freedom. And yeah, I think Nathan Patterson, hopefully coming back, will not just free up our, our forward options, but it'll probably free up Vitaly Mikalenko as well, as well, actually, because I say like the whole back line compensating for Seamus Coleman. If he goes forward, then we, we, we almost look, where have you gone, Seamus? So therefore, neither of them are going forward. So hopefully a bit more balance in terms of Patterson coming back. I do like Michalenko. I think he's been brilliant past few games. Defensively against Fulham, he was faultless. But I almost think that this modern-day way of playing with your left-back and right-back bombing on, creating chances, also gives your wingers a little bit more freedom in terms of doing what they're good at.
1: Yeah, just just on the, the wingers, Jane, before you move on to speak about some of the, the goal performances at the back, it's, I mean, that's an interesting point from Adam because you, you sort of look at Gray and Gordon and you think about their best moments in an Everton shirt and best moments as players. It's it's not really linking up with a full-back. And, you know, the obvious example you go to, the best we've had in recent years, it's been Stephen Pienaar, wasn't it? It was effectively a number 10 who played out wide and he'd bring other people into play. It sort of feels like the two wingers and the 2 fullbacks are sort of just playing on their own. They're not sort of in sync with, with anyone. They're not like doing any kind of combinations. It's like Gray gets the ball and he's very tunnel vision. Gordon does the same. It's not really... Much chemistry between those four lads at all is there?
3: No, and and, and I think even when you see throughout the game when they are swapping sides and stuff, again it doesn't really often make that much a difference either. Where sometimes you can see when the when you switch sides, then they, they're just giving the defenders something else to think about and constantly penetrating. But no, it, it, it's not. But I think you know the the point there about James Coleman is is absolutely spot on. But what it does is it shows. How much can change through an injury? You know, I know, I know we've had a number of injuries, but Nathan Patson was was such a, you know, a shine and light in that squad. Taking him out, James Cummins done, done a really really good job. You know, make no mistake about it. But so much just changes then. You know, tactics just changes. The, 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 just having a second thought in your head as a player to go oh, I want to be able to do this, but I'm not quite sure now because it is Seamus, you know, saying, what are you doing? Where have you gone? It just puts that little bit of doubt in somebody's mind where you can't necessarily have that creativity and that flow that we did have. Um, As I said, Seamus has done a a great job, but I think Seamus is always going to be that player now um, where I I would expect to see Patson probably in against Leicester um, and Seamus will be there, ready, ready to do a job and he can do a job. Um, but that's probably where he's going to go just so we can get back to what we were doing
1: yeah and Mick you mentioned Jordan Pickford a a little bit earlier there I mean it's just kind of what we come to expect from him now isn't it you know it's I think what's what's been interesting is that he made quite a big mistake against Tottenham a few weeks ago and you know go back a a couple of years and whenever Jordan dropped the Klang it was a a big discussion point for, for every Evertonian wasn't it and it you know It'd be all we'd speak about on a lot of these shows. It'd be all what was in the sort of you know the, the press and that kind of thing. But it just feels now that we've got so much credit in the bank that he just sort of can brush it under the carpet himself and move on from it. We as fans do it. And listen, it's it's not it's not you know unwarranted that we've got this faith in now because he keeps producing performances like this. And it's sort of one of them where you go, yeah, that is kind of the level we come to expect from him now.
2: Yeah, I, I remember thinking after that um, mis- mistake against Spurs um, that you know obviously you've been in such inspired form at, 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 up until then, probably since really you know March February time, um, and I was kind of thinking you know if something's going to maybe derail it, maybe you know maybe maybe a mistake like that is going to be it. But you know you wouldn't maybe a couple of years ago, maybe something like that. You know, obviously I always think back to the the obviously the derby thing in um the derby thing. But, I mean, you know, you know what I'm on about. Um
1: yeah
2: in Marco Silva's first season and everything just kind of seemed to derail for a couple of months after that. Well obviously for both the the team and, and for Pickford and but he he has been fine. He's been you know, I mentioned him just a couple of moments ago. Yeah, I think he's been probably one of the best performing goalkeepers in the league and I think it's know without doubt he'll be you know the starting goalkeeper of the World Cup for, for England and deservedly so and yeah I, I don't think really you can say much more other than I think there's, there's probably a conversation to be had about his contract I think there was rumours maybe before the summer or during the summer that that, that we were close or but that they were in talks and I don't think anything's happened since I have a feeling he might be 12 months in the summer Um. So yeah, hopefully that can get sorted sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, I suppose other as well, it's it's not gonna harm having the centre back partnership he's got in front of him at the moment even. And now I, I think obviously they've both been really good and they both sort of get bandied together, don't they? Cody and Tarkovsky is like this sort of duo and you know, they emphasise that themselves <laughs> doing interviews together and on a, on BBC and all that kind of thing. But I just feel like Tarkovsky over the last few weeks has just gone up a a bit of an extra level. I thought he was obviously fantastic against Crystal Palace. And I just, I just thought of the weekend again, he just he just really showed his, his class and his aggression. And, you know, mixing that all together to deal with Mitrovic and obviously not contain him fully because he had 10 shots, but to, to limit his influence on the game.
0: Yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. And he is the Dars dream. And he really, it just does everything you want him to in, in a way of, he's a defender first and foremost, which is what Evan have been crying out for. But I think what we've seen and what I was was most surprised by with James Tarkovsky is his ability to be so calm on the ball. And he's not just a, a go-and-head-it-Burnley-centre-half type of player. He's actually someone who can, as you say, make a defence feel calm, make your goalkeeper feel calm, get the ball. As as we've spoken about, the new way of playing here and, and having the ball what, basically on your, on your six-yard box as a centre-half and, and there's, yeah, you can mix it really, Carney James Tarkovsky? You can have your Alexander Mitrovich's and keep a clean sheet against Fulham for the first time in the season, but you can also have good performances where you, you're going forward and you're starting to play out from the back, really. But I, I I just wanted that header to go in and I think he should score, actually. I think it's stems centre the goal. He's he's free. I don't even think he had to jump, really. and it almost comes at him a little bit quickly. He has it down. He does everything right, but you just wanted to put him in the corner. And, yeah, listen, we're acting lyrical about him. So he's got probably a little bit less credit in the bank than Jordan Pickford, but he's definitely starting to build that up because him and him and Connor Cody look absolutely solid. I think we said it, I think I've mentioned it on a podcast a while ago, Vitaly Mikhelenko coming into the Premier League. There's a war going on in your country. You don't speak a word of English. The team haven't won in about 10 games. And you look over and Michael Keane's actually more scared than you. Whereas James Tarkovsky is doing quite the opposite for the likes of Michalenko, for the likes of Onana, for the likes of people coming into the side and and starting to build build a real foundation as the dads, I think they're known as. So, yeah, long may continue. I think he's been, as you say, head and shoulders above most, but not far behind is Conor Cody and not far behind is Jordan Pickford. And if you've got a a trio like that, you're not going to go far wrong.
3: I think they they thrive off each other as well, don't they? I think you know, that, that's what good players do and a good pairing do, is that they challenge each other, they'll, they'll thrive off each other, they give each other confidence, they feel like they can they can do more because they, they know that the mate's got the back. Uh, I think Conor Cody scoring a couple of goals probably is is making Tarkovsky think, I want to get a couple more goals. I think Conor Cody getting the, the captain's armband is probably thinking, actually, I want to be the captain. So I think not in a, not in a competitive way that is rivalry, but in a, in a really healthy, competitive way. I think they just thrive off each other, and in all honesty, I think England could do a lot worse than taking them two at, at the back, but I don't know if I necessarily want them to. What
0: I think's massive with Everton's recruitment this summer period, and I know we were screaming out, but just some form of solidarity, whether it's a players being a solid at the back player, or someone just being able to come and gel a squad together, I think the way that, that Conor Cody and, and James Tarkovsky have almost not had to change the external factors of their career to come and play for Everton. Cody talks about it all the time, that he's known and grown up around the club and his family are Evertonians or he's lived around the corner. James Tarkovsky, not much further, really. Lived, obviously played for Burnley for a number of years. So it, it's almost like the perfect match, really, in terms of everything outside of football. It's stayed the same almost, and you've got that foundation of being able to say, I can just concentrate on my game here, and I think that goes a long, long way, actually. It probably goes as far as Adritha Gay, actually, coming back to somewhere he's familiar with, somewhere that he knows he's loved and knows that he almost gets the city. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, it, it makes a huge difference, and I don't think, hopefully I don't think that's by any mistake that Kevin Belwell has looked at them so and saw so. They're not going to cost me much. They've been around the block. They know exactly how to play in this league. And actually, they're probably less than 10, 15 miles away from the stadium.
1: I mean, that's that's a great point. And, you know, like I said earlier, they do sort of get lumped together. But, I mean, they are quite different in styles as well. You know, Tarkovsky is very much that aggressive, go-and-win headers, throw himself in front of everything. And and while there's obviously a bit of that with Cody, I don't think he's quite as mobile. He's more of a, a reader of the game and gets himself in the right position at, at the right time. So I think they complement themselves well in that point of view. And the other thing as well, and, and touch wood, and feel free, if, if this happens, everyone come and give me stick, but centre-back's not getting injured. Just so important to be able to build a foundation on. And knowing that you've got mixed laughing there, he knows what's coming at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's just so good not to have to, to re- listen. I think... Everyone loves Jeremy Mina when he's fit; thinks he's a great player. But you know, having him back in the team for two games and then out for the next five, and then bringing Godfrey in and he's out for a while, you know, it's it's hard to form any kind of foundations, isn't it? When you've got two lads that you know, they might be limited in some aspects of the game, but if you know they're going to play pretty much every week, they're going to build up chemistry of each other and the rest of the team. It's a great starting point. And um, just just quickly, lads, on to to Leicester at the weekend, Mick. Um, just a bit of a weird team and I never really know quite what to expect when they, they come to Goodison. They always feel like tight games. Obviously, we got that very dramatic equaliser against them in the 94th minute last year um, through um, one of his many deflected goals, I think, towards the end of, of the campaign. They, they've been a bit ropey to start the, the season, but look like they're getting a, a bit of the, the groove back again. Um, but I've, I've watched them a few times. And I think they're completely settled, yes. I think they are pretty poor at the back they made a few changes there they've obviously got a new goalkeeper in as well and it feels like it, again if we go and approach it the same way as palace play the same way as we did against palace then we can definitely turn them over
2: yeah i think they well, rogers was pretty much on the on the verge of the sack a couple of weeks ago but i think they've they've, they've settled without you know being spectacular is probably the best way to put it you know it's they were all right against City, but they got beaten. I think other than that, I think they've been unbeaten really in the last couple of games. Uh, before then, um, I think I think they beat Wolves four 0 and they had like four shots or something like that, something ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'd love that type of efficiency <laughs> at the weekend. But I, I just haven't looked before they came on. I think that 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 game against Wolves that was they're the only points they they picked up away from home this season. So whilst they have picked up a bit of form. It, it's predominantly been at home in terms of in, beating Leeds and Forest and, and, and the other point against Palace as well. So I think on paper and and and, and I know Leicester probably well paper a better team than the us. I think with us being the home team you you'd have to you'd have to favour us and you, you'd you'd probably go in expect a victory to be honest. You know, we mentioned before and, and I think it was Jake who said it as well in terms of the Viewing the the point of Fulham as a good point of you can then go and and pick up three points against at home against Leicester the, the following weekend and I think that will be that's got to be the, the only way to look at it really um you know I think they've obviously got you know quite a lot of threats you know I think Madison was is, was suspended last week or the week before that and is back this weekend um you know and obviously Jamie Vardy Yori Tillemans they've got a, you know a real abundance of quality players but like mentioned before, Everton at home and a bit different to Everton being an away team. So I think, yeah, I think you've got to expect... not you are not ex- got to expect Everton to win because you can't, considering especially the position that the team is in, expect Everton to win any game. But I think you've got to expect a, a much more complete performance. And, and I think if you were favouring anyone to, to win the game, it would be us with the home team. And, and hopefully we can get four, maybe six points... From from the next few games, I think we we we've, we've ended the, the the first into the season very strongly.
0: They come across to me Leicester is you can get at them that they're almost fragile in a way that when they're at home. All, I don't know where I've got this from, but they almost seem to play every home game that they win at three o'clock on a Saturday, and, and that's it. And it's almost like they just they're just they go by how they have always gone and comfort and we know what time we're turning up and we're in a bit of a groove and we're at home and we know where we're meeting and all, and all this stuff and they seem like they're in a little bit of a a floating phase with Brendan Rodgers and he was probably very close actually before turning around a couple of results whereas I think on Saturday under the lights at Goodison I don't know if they're playing tomorrow or not but, last yeah no they're not in Europe this season they're, I don't think oh, right, okay so Either way, I think there's there's a, there's a chance for us to almost hit them cold and, and travelling up to uh, Merseyside on the Saturday. It just, it just feels like a team that if you can get at them and you can almost play on their weakness, then you, you should give them a good run-around. Probably similar to Palace in a way, actually. They don't travel very well and you've got players there who, if, if you start to dominate a game in midfield, especially, then you, you could actually being for a really good result. So uh, the two center after for me are a big one you can get at. Not impressed by either of them, actually. And, and I feel if we can score early and, and impose ourselves on, on the game, then we've got a good chance of winning. It's, it's just all about how Frank Lampard steps up here, because I do think they have got pace and they've got threat on the break. But it's almost, if we let them get into their groove, then it could be harder than it, it, it wants to be, actually. If we can hit them early and, and start to be on the front. We've got a bit of not free hit here, but we have started the season decent, better than what obviously we thought it may have been. So there's no reason why Everton should go for this like they did against Palace and really start to flex the muscles in terms of attack and intent. So yeah, never ever confident obviously, but I think if Everton can start the game well and apply some pressure to Leicester, um, they could easily fold. Yeah.
1: The lad they signed in the summer, is it Ice, to you pronounce his name like that? It looks a bit like David Luiz. He, he's got the look of a lot of Calvert-Lewin could have a breakfast, really, and you'd, you'd expect him to sort of dominate him. If
0: you're, if you're Dominic Calvert-Lewin on, on Saturday, if you're Frank Lampard or, or Frank Lampard's staff on Saturday, you, you, you're you saying to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you've got to arrive now. This is this is where you've got to look at players and start thinking, I can bully you. I can, I'm can. i better at, at what you, you're you thinking you're good at, going to head the ball or whatever it may be. Dominic calvert needs to really be a figurehead for Everton on Saturday, and as you say, Matt, if he's playing against a lad who is not at the greatest start to his Premier League career, then you've got to start bullying people and you've got to start taking advantage of it.
3: I, I personally, I only think I, I think only a win is good enough to be honest. with you. I think last home game before Christmas under the lights, you know, these Palace are better than than Leicester. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm confident. <laughs> Of a win, but I think that we we should be going in for a win, and and I think I, mean, I don't think a point is good enough to be
1: honest with you. So um, we need to be going for that for that win. Yeah, just very quickly, just to, to anyone, um, I think Jake you mentioned about Patterson coming back in. I think that seems like a smart decision against, especially against someone like Harvey Barnes, who's obviously very mobile and, and direct. I feel like Seamus might might struggle against him there. But any other changes you'd think about making is. is that, one way you'd bring James Garner into midfield, or you'd you look at Dwight McNeil maybe on one of the wings, or do you keep it very much the same? It's a difficult one for me. I, I
3: think Patterson is the one that I would I would definitely make. Um, I do like the look of, of Garner when he comes on, um, and and I do think that uh, McNeil can can probably be a, the better of the wingers, especially with with um, Calvin Lewin up front, but. I don't know. I think if we only went for a Patterson change, I wouldn't be complaining too much.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: inclined to agree. I think it's it's time for Nathan Patterson to just come straight back in. And as Jake said before, James Coleman's been brilliant in doing what James Coleman does, but time to change in and time to yeah pass the pattern on to Nathan Patterson, who I think is at the start of our season probably top three players in terms of just bringing a little bit of something different to what Evan have been screaming out for. Attacking intent, as I mentioned before, almost freeing up the likes of Anthony Gordon. And I'd actually like to see, as much as maybe Anthony Gordon would possibly be the second man on my list who could be making way for Dwight McNeely and Damari Gray, actually, just to freshen it up. I'd actually like to see Nathan Patterson and, and Anthony Gordon combining on that right-hand side on Saturday and, and hopefully start to build a bit of a partnership, because we can say that the likes of our wingers aren't, Given us much but we need to start giving them something behind which is a little bit of a, a solid foundation so if Nathan Patterson can play a run of games and Andy Gordon can then hopefully it starts to create a partnership there
1: I think the last time they played on the right hand side together they had that massive argument didn't they against <laughs> <laughs> you when Gordon wasn't yeah. snapping back I think Patterson went ballistic at him so, so yeah uh, let's rekindle that and, and just just very finally lads uh, before we, we wrap up uh, the World Cup starts. So the World Cup starts in less than three weeks. Um, is anyone feeling excited or looking forward to it, or marking off games that they desperately want to watch, or even know who's in what group? Because I think usually, obviously, this time in the summer, you, you've got you know, you've got your wall. Mick's definitely got a wall chart, hasn't he, with all the, with all the uh, games on and all that kind of stuff, marking marking off all the XG for each game and all that kind of stuff. But is, is anyone feeling excited about it, Mick? Are you are you ready for
2: the World Cup or not? I think it'll be nice to have a break from the Premier League, to be fair. Um, it's, such, it's such a weird one, isn't it? I, I don't really agree with the World Cup being in around November, December time. I think that the, the vast majority of people will, will agree with me there. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I think there's a lot of reasons to, to not really be in favour of, of, of the upcoming World Cup. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it it is what it is, and, and I think it, it will be as 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 watched as as it as it normally was as it normally is. Sorry, um, every four years. Um, it's funny actually saying that. Um, in terms of who, what groups and what groups or what countries in what and what group, I, I was having a look at some of them actually. Um, early this morning, just because I was having a, a look at a certain player, and I wanted to see if he was going the World Cup. So I know what group Japan are in, but but for that's that's it. <laughs> I, I genuinely couldn't tell you like many teams
0: that are actually going to... Like, if you said to me that like Germany weren't going to the World Cup, I'd, I'd believe it, really. The only thing I'm excited about for the World Cup is it's at that stage where probably two things. When I'm working, I'll watch Switzerland against Costa Rica at 2 o'clock on like, a Tuesday afternoon and i think, this is amazing. And then it's almost like over the Christmas period where so you've got a day out with your missus or you're going out with the lads and it's almost like a a part, like actually we'll go out on a Saturday because then at half seven we can go to here and watch that game and that's all I care about really just having something to almost make an excuse for going out and having a pint and watching a bit of footy other than that I couldn't care less and, and probably as Mick said not having to be bothered about what the actual scores are if England get knocked out I will literally go sound if Everton don't win a corner when it's a goal kick I'll find myself getting pissed off for the rest of the night and, and that is the difference between national International football and club football, so bring it on! Bit of a stress-free Christmas for
1: once in our lives. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jake? I think the group stages, like Adam alluded to, they're always the best, aren't they? I think there's a few days during this one where there's four games on in a day, which you know is 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 pretty marvellous, to be fair. I, I,
3: I like I like the World Cup. I like the the Euros. I do I do like to to see football and footballers I've never heard of before and and just just get into it, but. I, I seen something the other day that said like you know in a couple of weeks or something uh, it'll be this game I'm like my god like, I know I know it's soon but we just can't I just can't get into me head. so yeah I, I'm literally as you're talking now I'm looking at the groups because I, I didn't even know anything and um yeah I feel like it's just gonna be one that's just gonna pass us by from being completely honest with you but I, I am a little bit concerned about what it's gonna look like afterwards and you know, I think uh, there's a lot of clubs who are probably going to do well from a World Cup because certain teams haven't made it and, and players are out injured and stuff. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll remain to be seen what the effect of the World Cup's going to be. And that's why, although I think England could, could really do with Cody and, and Tarkovsky, I'd rather they didn't go.
1: Yeah, 100%. There. <laughs> We're on the same camp there. But I'm sure when it's on, we'll be all well into it, um, going out for a pint of Adam watching. Costa Rica versus Switzerland sounds great. Uh, we will leave it there this week. That has been your weekly show on the Blue Room as ever. If you want to hear more from us, we are over on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/theBlueRoomExtra. Loads of content and more builds the weekend game and the World Cup. So, cheers, James, Adam, and me. that your weekly show.